0: Hi, you've called the Mojo Radio show. We can't come to the phone right now because we're about to start the show, but please wait
1: for the tone and the boys will be with you shortly.
2: I got my mood, but you're working But it just won't work.
1: Hey everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. What's the show all about? Well, it's just about helping you be better. It's about improvement of things that you can do, things you can apply to your world in and out of work to help you be better. Just just take a step forward. Find that place where that day where you wake up and you're just in the lane. Everything seems like the possibilities are endless. That's what Mojo is all about. And what Robbo and I do is find people that we think are interesting, people with an opinion, a point of view, experts in the field. We talk to them to help extract things that we can apply to our world to help us get our mojo working. Do us a favor, guys. We don't have any advertising. We don't plug anybody. We don't get paid any money for this show. If you'd like to help out, just go to iTunes, pull up the ratings and reviews and put a little two words, three words, put a line, two lines in there, the good, the bad and the ugly because it helps us. With the show, it helps us get to more people and it also helps get our mojo working because it's nice to know you're out there. Or go to the website, themojoradioshow.com and send us an email, get in touch, give us your thoughts. We will take any advice, anything we can do to make the show better to help you get your mojo working. Let us know. And we should get started. Let's say good day to the guy behind the dashboard of the show. Robbo, how's it going, buddy? It's going well, man. And you? Good, good, good. How's your week been? Uh, busy. Busy, Busy, actually. uh,
3: I've been working on the new website, which is just about done, which is exciting. And I have been doing the usual audio stuff. And... um just one other small thing, managed to get myself engaged on Saturday night.
1: Oh, mate, congrats. <laughs> yeah, thank big. you. Big. That's big. And yeah. that was third. That was third. A <laughs> right, little, little uh, relationship
3: tip. <laughs> that should have been numero uno, buddy. I know. I'll be in trouble for that one. It's only taken yeah. me ten, 10 years to get around to asking the question too. So, you know. Don't worry, mate. You, probably can overdue. You,
1: you can edit that and put her at the front. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Oh, good on you, mate. The your website, by the way, your website does uh, does look good. Yeah. Voodoo sounds getting all grown up, mate. It sounds like you're almost a real business.
3: Oh, I know. Yeah, I'm one of those typical creative types. I know the creative stuff is great. The business stuff is not so good.
1: But it's almost <laughs> typical of like builders who you go to their place and their place is falling down, yet they do a great job on yeah. other people's. Or yep. you go to see a doctor and the doctor's overweight telling you to look after yourself and get healthy. It's kind yep. of like that.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I, um, I, I spent... Half a day in the 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 outpatients of the Sand Hospital at Warunga the other day, and um, actually noticed that two out of the three nurses running around the place could um, could do with a, a little less on the plate too. But um, you know, like you say, it's um, horses for courses, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's just on that a segue. Um, yeah. We had a very good reaction to last week's show with Sean Stevenson. Mm. So if you're new to the show and you haven't backtracked yet, he was the number one in iTunes health and wellness section for quite a while now. He was super cool, super good. Mm. And his message was about taking responsibility and taking control of your own health. So um, Mm. that was a really good show. We had a lot of good uh, feedback on that and uh, a lot of downloads. So um, that was a good show. Feedback on feeding. So, before we, uh, before we get going with the show, uh, you got anything for this week?
3: I do. Robbo's 20 cents worth. Speaking of feeding, um, you and I mm. were talking about great restaurants we've eaten in recently and um, you mentioned that you'd eaten at Anthony Bourdain's restaurant.
1: I did. I, it's a little while ago I had at the Brasserie L'Aal, which was right. a New York, uh, it's mm. a French Brasserie. All right. Um, And he, it's it's funny, he was, he always reckoned he was famous for his chips, which um, I got to say were, it's actually a really good restaurant. And I've been a big fan of him as a chef. Uh, He had a best-selling book called Kitchen Confidential, which was a very interesting read. And um, probably more so, I loved his TV show called Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations, which um, ran for a long, long time Mm. on uh, one of the pay channels, um, so why do, you, why do you bring that up?
3: I just came across an interesting piece from him the other day, um, his top 23 brilliant life lessons. All right. And, um, yeah, we won't go through them all, but there was a couple that I thought were worth talking about. Um, the first one says, if you're 22, physically fit, hungry to learn and be better, I urge you to travel as far as widely as possible. Sleep on floors if you have to. Find out how other people live and eat and cook. Learn from them wherever you go. That was a good one. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's probably why things like Airbnb these days have been so successful. Yeah. Is that people are wanting to. And um, I worked with a young kid yesterday. He was from the country areas of Australia and he was a a filmmaker and he was filming me with a lady called Sylvia Demiano from About My Brain. We were doing Mm. an interview together on – Imagination, how the imagination works with the brain, and how the brain can work to enhance your imagination and stuff. And um, anyway, the reason I tell the story is because this uh, this kid said he'd been for three years to London, and it really opened his eyes up to possibilities and gave him a lot of confidence to do what yep. he wants to do, and it gave him a new perspective on life. And I think um, you know, whether it be sleeping on floors or camping or you know, sort of stuff, hmm. I, there, there's a lot in that. And the thing I like about what you said. He said if you're twenty-two, mm. physically fit, hungry to learn and be better, mm. I urge you to travel. But the thing is today, I don't think it needs to be twenty-two. I think no. you could be at any age. Yeah. But the thing there is that most people aren't physically fit. Mm. We're not hungry to learn because we're just we're too busy. We're reacting we're reacting to stuff and we're not taking the time to learn new skills and to be better. And really I think that's you know, this little bit is what the Mojo Radish is about, is helping people to, to be healthier. If you're hungry to learn and you want to be better, this is the place to do it because we don't want to waste anybody's time. So um, that's, right. that's a good one to start with, mate. Jeez, it is a good you, one. You've come out of the gates, oh, well. Oh, I
3: bolted. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is, um, it says, don't lie about it. You made a mistake, admit it and move on. Just don't do it ever again. That's a ripper, that one.
1: I think people respect you when you say, you know what, I messed yeah. up. That's right. I think you I think put people in the back foot, they don't expect it these yeah. days because most people want to point the finger and blame somebody else and, you know, yeah. get in that blame game. So I think, yeah. um, it, I don't know, I think it, as you get older, you just get the point where particularly, with, I mean, Bourdain's made a lot of mistakes. I mean, he, no. he, <laughs> let's face it, folks, he's come from a very, very dark place in mm. his past mm. um, and he's probably at a point in his career now where, you know what, if he messes up, he just he just yep. says it as it is because yep. he kind of figures he's been there and done that. So,
3: yeah. Um, well, I think the obviously. thing with him too is, you know, especially with food, if you're not true to yourself, then you can't be good at what you do too. Mm. I think that's maybe an interesting angle on what he said there too. Mm. You know, if you're not true to yourself, you're not going to succeed. Mm. So, so, yeah. The, um, the third one that I thought uh, had a good ring to it says, um, short and sweet, you learn a lot about someone when you share a meal together. And ain't that true? true Yes.
1: But the sad thing is today... That we can be sitting at the table with somebody, but we're not sharing a meal together. That's right. Yep. You know, so many people are distracted. Yep. So many people aren't even looking at each other. And if they are mm. talking, they're not curious or really listening to the person. They're mm. just sitting there waiting for their turn to talk. Yeah. And if the other person doesn't finish quick enough, you start talking over the top of them. Mm. So um,
3: Yeah. I um I had a bit of an example of that the other night. We went we had our mother's day on Saturday because I was busy with rugby all day Sunday and um mm. Saturday night. Tanae and I went out to dinner, and um, sitting in the restaurant, and in the booth next to us, a family of four: mum on his um, mum on her iPhone, dad on his iPhone, and um, and the two kids sitting there on their electronic game, you know, yeah. boys or whatever. And I just thought, why did you bother coming
1: out? Why not just stay at home? And you know, the parents will go somewhere and talk to another parent and go. Oh. The kids won't listen to me. Yeah. I can't I, I can't communicate with the kids. Yeah. Just, that's right. I, I just don't understand these young people. That's what they're facing, computers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you look in the mirror and mm. you are the reflection of what your child is going to be because you yeah. are their superhero. That's when it. your face is in the screen, they go, well, that's what grown-ups do. That's right. And, you, and, and a grown-up can't tell them to disconnect mm. when the parents are always disconnected because you can't, you know, say as, do as I say and not as I do. Absolutely. So, um. I think that's a very good one. You know, if you go back to this, you know, and and there's actual takeouts for Mm. the Mojo Radio Show is, you know, in the next month or so, even just pick a weekend where you go and travel somewhere and sleep on the floor or go camping or go and do something. There are some really cool resorts where you stay in tents or just do something different. And honestly, a weekend can feel like you've been away for a week if you do it properly. If you've done something wrong and messed up, just fess up, just... You know, it's hard, but just taking a deep breath and just yep. get it done. And if you're having a meal with somebody, just sit there and be curious. Just say, you know what, today I'm gonna to ask this person 20 questions. Mm. Yep. And be absolutely curious, which is something we talked about with the brain and imagination yesterday during the interview was, mm. you know, I was asked about something you can do to foster your own creativity and imagination. And it's about being curious and just wondering what if and asking for more information and being hungry to learn and so there's actual real takeouts at least. Yeah. I haven't done too bad, have I? No, I reckon you're. Uh, <laughs> I reckon you're going alright.
3: He's he's one that really resonates with me, and, and and I'll tell you why in a minute. But um, his is short and sweet. He says, "Your body is not a temple; it's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride." What it reminded me of, and one that I've always loved, is from um, the author Hunter S. Thompson, who led probably a very similar lifestyle to. Um, to anthony up until obviously he died and anthony's now moved on from that but hunter wrote this a while back and i love it it says life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-deserved body rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke thoroughly used up totally worn out and loudly proclaiming wow what a ride Now, uh, I don't think um, I don't think any of this will go to the extremes that Hunter S. Thompson went to, but I think as a general rule, that's a good one. Mate, there's a guy who could speak with authority. Yeah, absolutely. Been there, done that was probably his most said line. <laughs> Skidded in
1: sideways. Skidding cool? in
3: sideways in a cloud of smoke, loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. <laughs>
1: you know, it's funny. I... Um I was a big fan of a show called Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton. Mm. And you can see it online on YouTube and stuff. It was a very successful show on television. And it was about interviewing the best living actors, directors, producers in front of a studio audience made up of first and second, third year students of acting, drama, directing and so on. And at the end of the show, he asked a series of quickfire questions. And the last question is, if heaven exists and you got to the pearly gates, what would be the one thing you'd like to hear said to you when you arrive? And I've always thought that my thing would be good ride, cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of a bit Hunter S Thompson skidding in. Sideways, yeah. <laughs> Sideways in the cloud of dust. It's like, mate, you've done good, buddy. You That's did right. good. You, you hung on, you rode it out, you got thrown off, you got back on again. Well done, mate. you run a good race. you run yeah. a good race.
3: Yeah, I reckon that's a ripper.
1: Yours yours would have to be some sort of line around ACDC, wouldn't it? Be something oh, like uh
3: Yeah. Look, I'd I'd probably be um riding in on the back of a truck with some bagpipes and a rock and roll band. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, there's a segue.
3: Yeah, there you go.
1: Well I mate, uh, let's stay on the uh, musical theme this mm. week and great Australian iconic musicians and artists, um You've uh, you've pulled a favour this week and got us a fantastic guest.
3: I have, and a lovely lady to boot. Mm. One of the loveliest ladies in Australian music, Wendy Matthews, has been around the Australian music industry for a long time, and uh, I had a bit to do with her back in the radio days, and I think
1: you did too with the um, Australian Music Awards. Yeah, we did a few um, a few shows with Wendy um, back in the days. This is going back probably decades ago mm. when I was working in radio with you, we did some outside broadcasts with uh, Dave Gibson and Rob Duckworth and the team at Triple M around the uh, around the country. And uh, mm. I've always uh, ever since I'd met Wendy and worked with her a number of times on live shows and stuff, she's just the sweetest lady. And her voice just knocks me out every time mm. I hear her. We should have
3: a listen. Here's a little piece I, um, I put together for our overseas guests who are unaware of Wendy's work. <laughs>
2: Over three decades, Wendy Matthews has carved out a career as one of Australia's finest vocalists. Iconic Australian acts like Models, Glenn Shorick, Jimmy Barnes, Tim Finn, Richard Clapton and Icehouse have all benefited from her vocal talents. After touring and recording with absent friends in the late 80s, Wendy went into the studio to record her debut solo album. The result was Emma Gray, and it earned her the best female artist and best debut single for Token Angels at the 1990 Aria Awards. also voted Best Female Singer in a 1990 Rolling Stone Reader's Poll. In 92, she released Lily. It went double platinum with sales surpassing 140,000 and won her Best Female Artist and Best Single for The Day You Went Away at the 1992 Aria
0: Awards. There's not a cloud in the sky It's as blue as your goodbye And I thought that it would rain On a day like today
2: With 11 albums under her belt, Wendy is still touring and recording today. There are few Australian artists who can cite Wendy's credentials, seven arias, 19 singles, seven top-selling albums, or most importantly, the love of her fans. she's not writing, recording, or touring, Wendy and her beloved dog, Bear, enjoy the beauty of the northern New South Wales coast, where she has built a handcrafted home. So, um, Wendy Matthews,
1: welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you very much. It is, uh, it's so nice to have you here. Wendy, um, I just want to start at the start for you. Now, I understand you were born in Quebec in Canada, but you Mm. went on the road at the age of 16. Was that... At that time, was that to chase a dream?
0: Um, In a sense, uh, it certainly wasn't, I never thought, you know, I, I want to be a star, I want to be out the front, anything like that. I just loved to sing, I was learning all about it, I was meeting people, and those were the years where, you know, you just live and breathe something, so um, that's, I just took off one weekend. My mother still asks when the summer is up, when am I coming home? <laughs> so um, I just I just took off busking, and uh you know, just going with the music, and and it was I was pretty darn young, as you say. So it was I was very brave through naïve mm. and and through innocence. But um we had some amazing, just kind of rambling years there, <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: traveling around and just playing.
1: You've talked in your music and in some of the stuff that I've seen in interviews. You've talked about um, finding yourself and mm. the journey you've been on to find. True Wendy Matthews, do you remember at what point you really came to grips with that where you started to, you started to understand who you were?
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, on different levels, yeah, I think yeah, just yeah, as yeah. a singer, you you take years to find out who you are and and it uh, takes years to feel confident enough in your craft that you know to get out of your own way and just see what's going to happen and, and see what's going to come out of an experiment. And that's still learning. You know, that goes on for mm. decades and hopefully till the day you die. But, um, yes, it took me quite a while to find my voice musically. Just, I mean, everybody's different. You've got different priorities, etc. For me, it was always the words. And I, I wanted to be sure of what I wanted to say before I put anything out there, you know. Mm. <laughs> and it just t- <laughs> takes a while in life to, to figure out who you are musically and what you want to
1: what do you think was the turning point for you to find that? When do you like when, when you think back over your journey and I I like that notion of getting out of your own way. At what point do you yeah. think you had the confidence to get out of your own way? Well,
0: I'm still learning to do that. I mean, it's yes. uh, as a singer, I mean, even physically, it's a very controlled thing. So to to mix the control with just turning off your mind and letting and letting, you know, The thing that you're doing, just take over, is is a constant a learning experience. Sometimes it works, Mm. sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) Mm. Um, You know, so it's it's all definitely a a learning curve.
1: Uh, You've unquestionably you're one of Australia's greatest female vocalists, and it's been interesting. Watching your journey from having um, met you and done some stuff with you back in probably the early '90s, I think, where I first mm, started mm. doing stuff, we were at Triple M, and yeah, um, that that's where you were finding your own voice. And prior yeah. to that, you're saying backing vocals for you know some of Australia's great artists like Jimmy Barnes and Icehouse, mm, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Clapton, the Models, and so on. Mm, um, mm. And you went from being a backing vocalist. To step into the front of the stage, take the lead mic, and become mm-hmm. arguably one of our our greatest. Um, do you remember what gave you the confidence or the step to actually have a crack at that? Like what, mm. what was the turning point that, to go from the back of the stage to the front?
0: It's a very gradual thing, I think, oh, well, for me anyway, and that was the only way I was interested in it. As I said before, I've never really had a, I'm not a natural exhibitionist. <laughs> I just <laughs> love, you know, what I do. So, um, so it took, it was a very gradual thing. I was in Rockmelons for a while as a backing vocalist and then they'd, you know, they'd ask me to sing lead vocals, so to speak. So I'd I'd go up to the front and get that, you know, get a little taste of that and then run back up the back. Um, with different vocalists, I learned so much as a backing singer. You learn to blend with different voices and learn different characters in your own voices. and um, So it, that all was just brilliant without the responsibility of being the front person. So I, I got to watch all these people and see what what I wanted and what I didn't want out of, you know, potentially a, a solo thing. And I think every singer, whether you're up the back or um, what, you you do tend to, if you love it, you do tend to tinker away with your own stuff too. So it's always there in a sense.
1: It's interesting. I, I Something I wasn't familiar with was um, the number of kind of superstars you've also sang behind apart from sort of the the outstanding line of Aussies you, you sang behind, but – um when I started reading through your bio of people like Cher, um, Brian Ferry, Donna Summer, I mean, you've sat behind mm. or stood behind and sang backing vocals from an incredible mm. lineup of international stars. Could you think back to, to the people you have backed, to one of them that really stood out, that you, you really admired and probably learnt the most from that you're now able to put into your own career? Oh, God, I wish I could say, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> Look, in Los Angeles the backing worked very, very different um, You know, I loved Brian Ferry as a person He was brilliant I always admired his music and, and that was a fantastic experience all around I did more work with him when he was out here and, you know uh, after Los Angeles uh, The others were just sort of things that I, I used to work a lot with a producer called Peter Asher for instance and he would get me to do all the guide vocals for Cher's record. so I got to do the fun stuff mm. Um, mm. as a you know nineteen year old. I got to go into the studio with all these kick-ass LA musicians and make a record, but it yeah. wasn't mine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I and at the end of the day, I was there for the experience and the good stuff because the making of the record was the good stuff, but it wasn't particularly the songs I I wanted. You know, it wasn't. Uh, With all due respect, I love Cher. She's an absolute icon, but I I don't want to make a record like her, sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's a, and it's it's a very different method that they do over there, too. She wasn't there for her record. She came in afterwards because she's also doing movies and mm-hmm. a very busy woman. So she would come in afterwards and basically listen to my vocals and sing along, and I'd be taken off, and she'd be there. So there were very different experiences, every single one of them, um, and I got obviously got something, you know, pretty great out of each one, but... uh for me, the stuff of getting to record with these fantastic producers and players was the good stuff. That's what I took mm. away from it all.
3: Yeah. Mm. It must be mm. um, It must be strange spending so much time recording somebody else's album and then having it released mm. and listening to someone else singing the songs that you've just spent days and weeks and months in the studio singing, right?
0: Absolutely. I, In fact, I've been shopping in the evening at Woolies and I hear this song come on and I think, <laughs> you know think that's me and then yeah. I think oh no whoops no that's Jesse James <laughs> on Cher whoops that is actually me but it's not
3: me <laughs> well did you actually did you was that one of the ones you did Jesse James you
0: bet I did that's that one of my favourite Share
3: songs there you go there you
0: go yeah, yeah that go. was wow. uh, I did that whole album which wow. was a blast you know and you put that all down to experience
3: yeah so that had turn back time and all those big Share songs on it there
0: yeah right?
3: yeah 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 wow yep wow
0: yep. Yep.
3: there you go Can we get the tapes, Wendy? I'd love to hear that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I don't think I would.
1: There's an an exclusive. (laughs) Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: Oh, dear.
1: Wendy, is is there a song of yours that means the most to you more than any others when you perform them? Mm.
0: Uh, Yes, quite a few of them. I mean, I'm not Mm. sort of exempt from (laughs) uh, when I'm singing particular songs if I've got something going on in my life. You know, you really do Mm. feel things. Yeah. so yes, I have certain thoughts going through my head, and I've got certain songs that I still sing that mean something to me. But that's the brilliant thing about music—you can. It, it means some, if somebody likes the song, it means something according to their own frame of reference in their life. You know, mm-hmm. um, the great thing about that is every song means something different to somebody. Um, so yes, you know, I raised a, a baby deer. I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous. For seven years, and I lived with my fifteen-year-old dog. So really, it was just the three of us: the deer, the girl, and the dog. And we all used to have our little coffees at ten o'clock in the morning inside, and and he'd twop around. And I lost him. So I wrote a song called Little Boy, and I still can't get to the end of that without, you know, really feeling, mm. boy, do I ever miss my little boy. Mm, Mm. So, yeah, of course, things mean things to me too. You know, day you went away, I I think of some people.
1: Um, Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I never really thought of that before, Wendy, that, you know, as an artist going on stage, there could be a particular time in your life where... You've been performing a song for five or ten years, but when something happens, you get a phone call that afternoon or Mm, you see something mm. the day prior, but you go on stage Mm. that night, that song can take on a whole new emotion for you, can't
0: it? Absolutely. My mother was out a few years ago and she came on tour with us for like over a month, and it was just such a brilliant time in both of our lives, a great thing to, to have done and remember. Um, because she lived in Canada and she's much older now and I live here and I'm much older now. and And it was just a wonderful experience. And on the last night she was flying out and I had to continue touring. And I got up on stage and had to sing The Day You Went Away. And mm. honestly, I was choking because it was very, you know, it was literally poignant for that. I'd never felt it like that. So yes, it certainly does. Sometimes you just got to breathe and get to the end of something.
1: <laughs> wow, that's really that's, that's very powerful. With <laughs> yeah. the um, with the Wendy Matthews brand, is there a is there a message that you would like people to take from your music? Like with hearing stuff like Amelia and some of the beautiful beautiful songs and ballads and the, the, the meaning and emotion you put behind them, is there a the brand Wendy Matthews? What what what, what would you like? people to feel or take away from mm. your stuff?
0: All I think, all I can do really is is write. To me, the time to write is is when something's kind of welling up inside you. I'm not a very disciplined writer at all. I sit bolt upright at four o'clock in the morning and I'm completely at the mercy of inspiration. So um, you know, they're not often sort of happy songs, but... Mm. Those are the things to me that that we're all human about, and hopefully if if I find the proper way to express it, then other people will be able to relate. And as I say, um, people have their own experiences they refer to in their memory and in their emotions. So I Mm. just really hope that it taps into something of theirs. Um mm. and a lot of the time I, I get, you know, songs that are very important to people over the years and what it's meant to them and and sometimes I get the feeling that yes, I've sort of been successful with that. But that's all you can really hope for,
1: you know? So you, you just said you don't have any particular way of writing, so you don't have any particular process or rituals or, or how how does a song start for you? Like what what what's mm. the, what's the writing method for Wendy Matthews like?
0: Mm. Um, For this last album, The Welcome Fire, I got together with some fantastic people, some I knew, some I didn't know, and I just consciously kind of opened myself up to all that stuff again. Writing is very different than uh, choosing a record of other people's songs and trying to make them your own. So, um, And I think the older one gets, uh, if you want to be an artist of any kind, it's not about secrets it's just about letting it all <laughs> you know letting go of some of your secrets and hoping that other people can relate mm, um mm. so it was it was a fantastic experience writing this this whole record over the you know over the last year and a half or so um Oh goodness! What was your question again? <laughs> no, just, just, just. just. I wavered down the other
3: path. Oops! Time for that cup of coffee. Hey, Wendy, I get
1: that a lot. Immaterial. <laughs> <laughs> um, the. the um, <laughs> oh, uh, it's a classic. Uh, Ritual, songwriting process, and how a song oh, starts for Wendy Matthews. Me. Thank you so
0: much. Um, <laughs> I've got journals and journals of just little bits and pieces and thoughts and, and, um, you know, little bits of poetry and ideas and song titles. So everybody that you get together, every songwriter is very different. Um, I really just took my notes and some people were very kind of prepared. Others were just, well, just put that away and let's see what we come up with today. Um, so it was a completely different experience with everybody. Some Mm. songs Amelia came together in a couple of hours and I did the vocal and that's the only vocal I ever did that's on the record. You know, that wow. was the day we wrote it, the day, the first vocal I ever did on it. And um, there was something sort of distraught sounding about the vocal. So we, that's it. That was the one from the very day that we wrote the song. So, And others were, took longer and were more laborious. So as I say, I'm completely at the mercy of inspiration.
3: Hey, Wendy, I heard you say in there that you, um you go back to your journals when you, when you, you, mm. you, you're writing um it's something yeah. Gary and I have talked about on the show a lot, oh, yeah. and something I'm fairly new to, but something Gary has done for a long time is mm-hmm. is journaling something that's really important to you do you do you find a lot of time in your day to do
0: that? um hmm. as I say, it's really just when something grabs me. I don't yep. do it as a discipline every day. um okay. I used to years ago, but i and it's really interesting looking back and some of that stuff, boy, when you read something that you've written yourself from a few years back that's personal almost to yourself. It's uh, you just think, Oh mm. my goodness, yeah, I remember that. I'm glad that was then and this is now. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Obviously though, a big for someone like yourself, a big source of inspiration when you are looking to be creative and, and and write songs and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there's you know, there's bits and pieces, but I'm not a disciplined really. I mean, to be honest, I pull them out when I've got to to write, you know, when I've got a songwriter
1: so you said you sit bolt upright at four o'clock in the morning, and an idea <laughs> comes to you. Do you do you then transpose that to a, a journal? Do you capture yeah. thoughts or sayings? I remember hearing uh, Grammy award-winning artist Fiona Apple. Yeah. Talking about the songwriting process in an interview with yeah, uh, she's Quentin brilliant, Tarantino. Roger. She is, yeah. And she was talking to yeah. Tarantino, um, the director, movie director, about mm-hmm. the writing yeah. process. And she said, it could just start at dinner where somebody says something. That's
0: right. It's just a spark. Is that of, the same for you? Oh, sometimes I'll pass a couple of women in the street and I'll just hear a sentence and I'll think, wow, I don't know what that was about, that, but, but that was a really cool sentence. And you just build on that in a sense. Or. You know, you have a with somebody you haven't seen for a long time, and they've got a bit of a, an issue going on, and it uh, just, I think you've got to, for me, I've got to write it down immediately um, mm. and just kind of capture that spark of, of whatever you were thinking. And then you can go back to it. I also find just simply, and Josh Pike, I did a song with him, he was big on this too, if you've got mm. a song title, it really is a parameter. You know, if you've got a title, that's a pretty good place to start.
3: Yeah. It's funny, I um I saw an old interview with um with Chrissy Amphlett on YouTube the other day and she was talking about yeah. how they came up with the ba- the name for the band, Divinals. And it was it mm-hmm. was her and a friend shopping on Chapel Street and they were just mucking around being stupid looking in store windows, going, That's divinal and that's divinal, that's oh divinal and they looked at each other and goodness. went there's the name of the band. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh perfect. Here you go. So, how I great, think the so. best things Yes, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it would have been so different if they sat down around the table and said, all right, let's come up with a band name. Yeah, Yeah, it would have been, you know, the rock band with the girl
3: singer out the front or, you know, something
1: equally as boring. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's it. It came up in a very uh, relaxed spirit.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's interesting, Wendy, when you talk about hearing two ladies in the street talking and of is having the radar on to listen and watch out for those cues and... We know a lot of our audience are business people who could quite easily sit there and go, well, it's all fine for Wendy Matthews. I mean, she's a, she's a star, she's a musician. It's different for me. I, I work in a telco. But the yeah. same principles apply, you know, that we walk around with our faces in screens or we walk around yeah. having conversations and waiting for our turn to talk instead of really listening to what people are saying. Because <laughs> the cues for a great line for a presentation or for, a, you know, writing a... a uh, a quote for someone and needing a great piece of copy. But it's just Mm. so interesting hearing you talk about it because people don't pour over their words in the corporate world. They don't listen out for stuff to store. They don't journal and squirrel away stuff for that great Mm. moment. And I remember reading uh, Josh Pike said um, the other great thing about journaling is that it gives you – a record of where your thinking was at a certain period of your life. That's what I mean by um, it's so
0: interesting to look to read something from a few years back from yourself. And journaling, in in the nature of it, it's almost writing to yourself. It's you writing to you. So that's what I meant before by when you look back at this stuff, I'm pretty grateful that I did start journaling pretty regularly at one stage because it's really interesting to compare, you know, just where you're at now. And uh, what's worked out and what hasn't and what you stuck to and what yeah, you didn't yeah. and <laughs> the choices you
1: made. Has your writing style changed over the years, Wendy? Can you can you look back at your writing style and see a difference in what's coming out now? Like oh, sure. Feeling a, sure. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can. I think it's really hard for me to see or hear anything I've done for some reason, in particular the older I get. Um, but... I think my songwriting in general, as anything, the more you do it, the more it grows up a little bit. Um, And as I say, I think the older you get to, the less you care about what people think of you. That's the only one, that's Mm. the only redeeming factor of growing older. (laughs) You don't quite give a crap about what (laughs) people think about you anymore. So um, I think my writing's become a little more honest. you know, with with myself, or I just mean the lyric content, et cetera. Um, I'm not so afraid about getting angry or, you know, um, so there's just a bit more of a direct line sometimes. And I look back on my earlier songwriting attempt, and it just seems a little more naive and, you know, younger, but um, such is the nature of things that you do more than, you know, the more you practice, the better you get.
1: mm Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about. I'm just curious. Can you mm-hmm. talk me through the story behind "Follow You Down"? Like, what's the, mm-hmm. the, the the writing behind that? The story. Sure, sure. I
0: met this fantastic American girl called Kim Ritchie. She's a brilliant songwriter. She's one of the. I think she's the only human I've ever met that is so called of no fixed address. She uh, she had Dark Martin boots on, and she carried a guitar case and basically was just traveling the world. And uh, she's an American girl from, from the South so, and uh, a brilliant songwriter, as I said. We got together. I brought my dog, and we just had a very relaxed day of chatting away and talking. Towards the end of the day, I was talking to her about a friend that I've got who seems to be so afraid of um of their own stuff that they just keep running and they never kind of turn around and look at it and they don't realize that if they did the severity of what they're running from would sort of shrink so we were just talking about that and out came follow you down. You know, if if you if you ever want to stop running and look behind at your demons who you feel are chasing you, then I'll I'll be with you, I'll stand with you, I'll follow you down to where you don't wanna go.
1: Yeah. That's great. That, that's a great that's that's a that's gold. That's a that's a beautiful oh, that's track. Nice. Yeah. I had an interview with you and you talked about some advice that Megan Washington yeah. gave to you, which I thought was particularly important for anybody, whether it be a songwriter or anybody living Mm. in uh, social circles, community circles, business circles. Can you just talk me through the advice that Megan gave you? Mm.
0: I thought it was really interesting because it just magically, it was so simple, but it magically allowed me to do something that I always try to do. Which is get out of your own way a little bit. You know, don't try and over explain because you really want people to know what you're, you know, trying to get out there. So give yourself a name, stand back, and you know, sing to this other person that is you, (laughs) but it just separates you a bit so you can be a bit objective, and so I called myself Amelia, and I just told myself what I wanted to hear because nobody else was going to tell you at the time. It was a particularly exhausting time at, uh, you know, the end of a long road, and I was just exhausted, and out came Amelia. Um, and it just—it was fantastic advice because it, it allowed me to just sit back and and write to somebody separate. But at the end of the day, it was—it was really, you know, to myself.
1: Yeah, that's powerful. Mm. That is really—that's uh, really nice. Um, yeah, it was. Do you do you have any? Um, rituals you go through prior to a performance. I mean, I've seen you no. perform in lots of different you know, media, live, and so on. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have any rituals, or are you one of these people who can just walk up the microphone and do yep. your thing?
0: Be <laughs> I don't. I don't have. I don't. I should. And it's funny because I met this young singer a couple of months ago who said, now, I play piano, so just sit down here and listen to me play and and sing. So I did for a while, and I was listening away. And she said, so how do you warm up? And I said, I don't, because I've never, ever once learned any warm-up exercises or anything. I just go, okay, let's go. And she said, oh, and she taught me all these warm-up exercises. But I still don't do them. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stick with what you know, Wendy, yeah. that's right <laughs> Yeah, exactly you're Yeah, you're going all right
3: Yeah, I was going to say, it's obviously uh, working it for you <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sometimes I simply just ask myself to just, you know, step back and, and just have some fun and, uh, mm. you know, let it kind of come through, not from you <laughs> mm. Mm.
3: <laughs> Just just on that, you you sing some incredibly powerful songs lyrically And I wonder... When you're on stage and you have to do A Day You Went Away or one of those songs that are so lyrically Mm. strong, do Mm. you have to take yourself somewhere else mentally or is that just something that comes naturally? Can you just sing Mm. with that emotion or do you actually have to envisage yourself somewhere else?
0: With that one in particular, I know so well. Um, Mm. So that's a bit of a, you know, it's... It's a bit of a different example because that one. I mean, my throat. Even if I couldn't hear, if I went deaf tomorrow, mm. I know what it. I want. I know the notes. What they yeah. feel like in my yeah. throat. Yeah, it becomes automatic, <laughs>
1: right?
0: Yes, it does. Yeah. Um. And sometimes, as I say, it's it, we're not disconnected, sort of physically and mentally. So it mm. really depends on what's going on, mm. Mm. um, with you. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, so Wendy, I've always, I've always. Being fascinated by performers like yourself, and there are there are days when, and Robyn and I have talked about this for the show. There are days when you're not in the lane, you're just not in the zone. You just, you're just something's yeah. gone on. You just don't yeah. feel like it. Um, but we we're sitting in a studio and we can, in a lot of cases, fake it. But you've got to walk in front of an audience of, you know, many hundreds to many thousands to many tens of thousands who have come along to see you knock it out of the park. They want to see you perform. They might have seen you before. They've got an expectation. They know your voice. They know the emotion you put into a song. When you're just not feeling it and you're in the backstage or the Mm. green room or the hotel next door and you go, man, I'm just just not there today. Is there something you go through to get yourself in that place so as not to disappoint? Oh,
0: you literally just kind of have to jump around a little bit and and – And be rational for a second. It's not a rational thing, but you just have to say, look, this is for the next two hours, and this is what you're doing. Mm. And I must say, once you start, once I start to sing, that just takes over. I can't, I can't kind of, even if there's two people in the audience physically, it just doesn't work to give 98%. Mm. You know what I mean? It's always your voice just goes to this place and has to keep that level. Um, so it just happens for me these days, luckily. I'm very
1: grateful for it. Yeah. but part of it for you is just, just getting to the microphone, putting a lot aside, yeah. jumping around and getting to the microphone. Is It's just starting. Oh,
0: look, I've been in, you know, I've been in situations, as I guess we all have, just, you know, oh, God, I know, death, divorce, all that stuff, where you literally just Sort of um shaking and, and a bit of a mess and you think I honestly I don't know how I'm going to appear normal tonight <laughs> but you have to and yeah you know you do you let it take you let the music take you away because God knows for two hours it's it's the only thing you can do and it is gonna make you feel better <laughs> bet and you does. start shaking the minute you come off again
1: <laughs> so yeah I've got just I, I got two little two little bits with that Wendy just uh <laughs> With how does Wendy Matthews handle the the dark moments how do you handle that naysayer inside your own mind that says you're not up to it you've been around a while you know you've um, had your time whatever it may be how, how do you how, how do you handle those in in a Wendy Matthews way oh
0: my goodness i live in the country on 10 acres um live with my dog, and it's always just been her and me. And to me, that's it's a completely sort of dichotomous life, but I'm really glad that I've got that because that just gets me together. For Somehow, it always has, just being in the country and being sort of this nature, et cetera. It sounds ridiculous, but it's true. It um, it just kind of fills up the empty cup when I feel, you know, just empty mm. and a bit fragile, et cetera. So, and then I get on planes and automobiles, and it's all a very different life, but at least I've got. That And I don't know why, but that's what works for me.
1: So it's the grounding, like the the, the earth and the country is the grounding for you and the grass beneath your feet. Yes,
0: and it's it's sometimes even harder to sort of connect with people in the city and do business from up there because everything just seems a little more crazy when you're in a quiet area (laughs) on 10 acres.
1: (laughs) Um. (laughs) Has your run... Has your personal life gone that way as well in terms of food and wellness? Has being up there on ten acres with the dog and the surroundings you have yeah. has that had an impact on on how you look after yourself and that sort of stuff? I mean, oh, I'm
0: sh- yeah, I'm sure it has. Um, I chose to move up to my property years ago, and I didn't know if I was ever going to work again. Oh my god, what's going to happen here? And Honestly, I, I've never, you know, been flying in and out more. It's uh, it's just fine. But as I say, it's pretty dichotomous life, and I'm glad I've got that. But I mm. do, obviously. It's um, and sometimes I got to tell you, I think, you know, God damn it, I got to fill up in order to get. Most people just turn on a heater in the morning when they wake up in the city. I've got to chop wood build the flippin' fire, um, light the damn thing, <laughs> you know, get down on my knees and, oh, it's just, and I think this is just too hard. Things are supposed to get a little a little easier as you get older and you've been working for years. And, but at the same time, you know, uh, that's my life and I kind of love it.
3: Yeah. When I was growing up, my, my dad had a little hobby farm uh, up near Cessnock, mm. a place called Wollombi. And uh, yes, we only I had a wood, we only had a wood wood wood, wood fired stove. So, oh uh, wow! We used to get up on a Saturday morning, and if you wanted bacon and eggs, you had to go and do exactly this. this is where my mind went as soon as you were staying chopping wood was <laughs> yeah. remembering being 13, 14 and wanting bacon and eggs for breakfast, and being made to work for it.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh, it hurts sometimes. Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> Especially on those cold winter mornings when it's like six oh, degrees. Look,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's just snapped recently up there. I haven't had my first fire yet, but I'm just. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. I don't
1: want
0: to do this again for
1: another winter. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Wendy, um, I read that you have a teepee with uh-huh. um, some of your mates, including Russell Crowe. Do you still have that? Oh,
0: well, he no. He just helped me put it up for the first time years ago because um, he, you know, we don't live too far from each other up there. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, he's not. Really, you know, he's not a continuing part of my TP. <laughs> he, uh, he stands there and holds up the sixth pole. He's been there ever since. <laughs> no, um,
3: it makes a good story, though. Right? That's the premise of his next movie. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: Yeah. laughs> TP
3: builder. Yeah.
1: That's right. He's, um, he's, yeah, he's playing Red Cloud, the Sioux, Sioux, Sioux Indian, the TP. Yeah. He's gone from water diviner to <laughs> TP pole. <Teepee laughs> yeah, yeah. the it. Sioux the Indian water gladiator. Water <laughs> what a beautiful line.
0: That's the one. Yes, I do have a teepee. It's a magnificent thing. And uh, yes, I had some friends help me put it up one weekend years ago, but it's been up and down many a time since. But they're magnificent things. They're the most brilliant design. Mm. This is a huge thing. I mean, you know, I've got a double bed and a fire pit and two chairs and a table and carpets and, um, you know, it's brilliant.
1: And you still use that? Like it's still a. I do. You put it up every now and then, and and that idea is just brilliant. I love that idea.
0: It's a bit tricky to put up. So once it goes up, it stays up there for about six months. But uh, it does, it comes up and
3: down. So anyone in the Bathurst area driving along and they see a teepee from the road, well, you'll know where
1: Gary's place is. <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah. And, and, lo- and, lo- and lots of smoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and me out there in a uh, Galloway uh, grass-fed beef loincloth. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, you got a visual. Um, Wendy, I'm just go. curious, um, before we let you go, um, I'm just curious to hear about You've got a Canadian Indian tribal ancestry Mm. and I'm just curious to know whether that has had an influence when you look back now to where you are in your life, Mm. what sort of influence that has had on you, bearing in mind the conversation Mm. we just had for the last couple of minutes. Um, Mm. Could you describe sort of the impact and and whether it has any bearing on Wendy Matthews?
0: In retrospect, I think it probably does. Just in so far as all my growing up in Canada, I had a huge, deep, almost painful affinity with the Canadian Indian people. And I didn't, I mean, so strong I didn't understand it. Uh, You know, I'd, I'd fall on my knees during the Cowboys and Indians movies and start bawling because, The Indians were being killed and I just just poured through books on their philosophy and with with nature and just all their rituals and different Plains Indians. I was just particularly obsessed and I never understood quite why. Um, And then once I moved out here, I think it was one of my first trips back, my mother and I she showed me something that she would discovered um through her line of family that was through the Abenaki Canadian Indian tribe. So we did this amazing road trip up north through Quebec and went to the Abenaki area and met the tribes and spent a few days up there. And it was just, I remember thinking... This almost feels like, um, even if it lasts only a day, it feels like coming home or it, it explains something to me why I was so obsessed when I was a mm. kid. Um, and I didn't really understand why. So I don't know about those things, but there was just some sort of connection as a child. And, and later in life, in my 20s, I realized that there was an actual connection there too. An Abenaki tribe.
1: And do you think that has an impact on you wanting to live on 10 acres um, and to yes. be with nature yeah, and like, that sort of stuff? Yeah,
0: exactly. And I keep planting damn pine trees. <laughs> Something's wrong. I'm misplaced. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> as well as the eclipse. Uh, I, yes, I think so. I think, I mean, Canada is very much like that, but also it's a personal choice. I never. I never grew up in the country We I had a country mm. place, but basically I've always all my life lived in the city. Um, it's mm. something I've always wanted to do. I remember thinking, you know, quite a few years ago, what, if I turn 40 and all I've got is a big closet full of show clothes, I'm going to be really pissed off. <laughs> I want some property. I want some land. I want something that's going to last, you know, something real mm. that's going to last, something tangible. And um, so I bought a small piece of land and built my own house. And I think things just—I um, don't know. They say that a man in life is what supposed to have a son, build a house, and write a book, and that's a perfect
1: yeah.
0: life. Yeah, yeah. So I've—I uh, I've built a house. <laughs> 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 write One out of three ain't bad. Well, you just oh, write girl.
1: records instead of books, right? Yeah, you've got albums. Yeah, there that's you all right. Go. <laughs> Two out of three. Eight, but. One little quick thing before we go, um, Wendy, I'm just yeah. curious that um, there is a show that I have loved for about 10 years uh, on Foxtel called Inside the Actors Studio, hosted by James yeah. Lipton. I don't know if you've you ever seen that show. Oh, I know it will. Yeah. So for this yeah. for the listeners, it's uh, uh, done at the Pace University and it is an auditorium filled with kids yeah. who are in their first, second and third year acting scholarship. Yeah. Future directors, future producers, and James Lipton's Mm. the host, and he brings in the the, the best living directors, actors, producers alive and interviews them for an hour. And ask them
0: about their their growing up and much, much deeper stuff and they get to talk as actors about their craft to people that are learning about it. It's brilliant. It
1: is brilliant. And and for anybody listening, uh, to Wendy's point, I get so much out of the show. It's worth, we'll put a link to it Mm. in the show notes. People can check it out on um, the website and or on YouTube. Um, Wendy, something that's a commonality that you probably would have recognised in the show that James Lipton has made quite obvious now because it's so apparent is that probably ninety-five percent of actors or directors that he interviews come from families that were broken when the uh-huh. actor, or actress, was at a young age? You, yeah, I've read that you came. Your mother and father split when you were young. Yeah, and me too. Yeah, do, do, it, it's, a, it's, it's a, a theory that James Lipton has got that it has contributed to the imagination and creativity of these actors, and because they spent mm-hmm. so much time by themselves. Is there, do you feel that had an impact on you?
0: I never really. I had two brothers that I was incredibly close to, still am really. Um, but yes, absolutely, unequivocally, and directly. I'm still trying to suss out what relationships and, and love is all about. I mean. Mm. You know, uh, <laughs> I've never married. I've never had kids, and I, I know that that's because of my original understanding of my parents' relationship. Mm. No, um, I mean it's no. Oh, I've, I worked for years on that. It's no issue now. But mm. um, what I'm saying is, yes, I, I believe I was trying to figure things out for decades. In fact, in a lot of ways, still am. Mm. Yeah,
1: it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting scenario, Rob. It was just, and quite often. You know, you relate back to, to even people who aren't um, having to face that sort of challenge in their life, but that time spent by themselves to delve inside your own imagination and to draw stories. Yeah. It's just um, yeah. I think it's very, yeah. very prevalent, particularly for, yeah. for, for us today and how, and how important storytelling is and authenticity and knowing where you came from and all the stuff that, um, that Wendy has done so well. It's, um, A lot
0: of people are very scared of it, though.
1: How, how do you mean, Wendy?
0: Um. I find a lot of people afraid of their sort of possible authenticity and power. You know, it's easier just to shut down and be who you've always been rather than take up a big space and, and feel like you deserve to. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I suppose everybody's different.
3: If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Isn't that right, <laughs>
0: Wow!
1: Well said. Yeah, we're we're, getting, we're we're really getting deep now, buddy, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we need a T-shirt that says that.
0: That's right.
3: <laughs> hey, uh, Wendy, there's 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 one question that I always ask um, songwriters like yourself when we've spoken to them on the show, and and and, and mm-hmm. I have to do it again because I'm a great fan of your songwriting. Oh, Wendy Matthews' songs aside. Is there mm-hmm. a song from somewhere in your life that you've ever come across that you wish, wow, I you think, wow, I wish I wrote that?
0: Oh, God, yes, um, quite a few. Uh, at the moment, there's um, somebody in a band called The Blue Nile, and um, he's just the most brilliant songwriter. It's, uh, every mm-hmm. song, he just kind of emotionally pins me up against a wall, and I think, oh, my God. Wow you know that uh, that whole thing of killing you softly? yeah <laughs> mm.
3: <laughs> i think there was a song about and, uh, that too wasn't there yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that one's <laughs> done that one's stay done close
0: <laughs> to me yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. stay close to me
0: There are lyricists that I think oh that is just so brilliantly and simply put and everybody knows what they're talking about. Yeah. That sort of stuff I severely admire.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's great, yeah. isn't it? That's that's yeah. one thing that really all my life has attracted me to music is the storytelling. It's um it's, yeah, uh, it's really personal, and, and you know, it's, it's really nice to get insights into people's lives and stuff when they write songs from the heart. Exactly. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And everybody's got a story, and hopefully, other people can relate to their story, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wendy, um, when you are jumping around backstage <laughs> getting yourself <laughs> ready for a gig, mm-hmm. uh. If you had if there was a DJ in front of you you could play any song by any artist of any era and any genre. If there was oh a song God. that you were gonna to play to get your mojo working, so when you hit the stage, you are in the lane, ready to bring it, what would you play? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a huge question. I don't know. Um Probably something really frothy and poppy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I don't
0: know. It's a, a bit of retro Prince even, maybe. Oh, I don't wow. know. I
3: don't we know. Uh, We spoke to Denny Hemmington, Tim McGraw's guitarist, a few weeks ago, and they listen to Prince yeah. occasionally backstage before a show as well. So he's, um, yeah, there he you gets go. plenty of thumbs up from it's, you yeah, guys, yeah. doesn't he?
0: He <laughs> just ups you. Yeah, he pumps you up a little. Just the right amount.
1: Do you know, I was in uh, a cafe on Saturday morning with my little girl. It's a country cafe. And I was in there with the staff talking, just catching up. with their the friends of ours, catching up. And uh, they had the uh, B-Rock playing in the background who played mm-hmm. 1999 by Prince. And exactly. I kid you not, everybody in the kitchen and my little girl and I were all moving it's and moving. So yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> exactly. that dude has got it going on, I'll tell you what. And he spans <laughs> from country artists to, to anyway, he's, uh, so we're, we're with you. Um, Wendy, That's we'll let great. you go. This has been such a blast, hasn't it, Robert? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, lovely. I had a great time. Yeah,
0: no, it's, it's been really nice for me. Thank you.
1: This has been uh, such a privilege to be able to spend some time with you and to sort of delve into the songwriting and, and the, yeah, the philosophies and, uh, and how you do things. And, um, Wendy, just there um, we are people who will want to catch up on all these tracks we're talking about. What's the, where's the best place for people to go to to find out about the gigs that are coming up, mm. uh, your music?
0: Mm. I'd say wendymatthews.com. That's where I go to see where I'm playing next. <laughs> <laughs> WendyMatthews.com.
3: You're also doing some Billy Holiday shows, is that right?
0: Yes. We went oh, into wow. this piano factory in Newcastle here, and um, my piano player and stand-up bass player. And we after two days, we came out with this EP of just live recorded songs of, mm. of Billie's that we kind of reworked into our own and realised that we had something that we were pretty excited about. Yeah. So, yes, that comes out this year. I've just finished the cover. I am just finishing up the
3: artwork for it. I've got to make and, a confession uh, here. Um, back in my radio days, Wendy, we had an mm-hmm. artist coming in uh, for a show that we were recording at the time and, and long story short, the artist got to pick five of the songs that got played in that show and it was oh, – yeah. uh, I can't remember who the artist was who was coming in, but one of the songs I requested was by Billie Holiday. And I walked oh. into the on-air studio, and it was Ian Rogerson and Mikey Robbins on air at the time. And I said, "I'm trying to find this song, such and such, by this bloke called Billie Holiday," and the whole room <laughs> lost it. <Are> you <laughs> so that's I, that, that's my that's one fantastic. embarrassing confession from my radio days. Except
0: you're only one. You're Up until ahead.
3: that that's day, beautiful. I was unaware that Billie Holiday was actually a woman. So there you go. Oh, that, is that's
1: so <laughs> <laughs> that is gold. That is
2: gold. <laughs>
1: and fantastic. the uh, the Billy Holiday shows for Wendy are on in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Tassie, as mm. Wendy would well yes. know. Um, yeah. But we will put a link to Wendy's stuff um, in the show notes yep. and everything else. So and the um, new album. Thanks again, well, Wendy. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Thank
1: you. This has been really, really good, and um, hopefully we'll see you again down the track shortly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It was great talking to some clever dudes. Frankly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey,
3: there's one for the tape, Gary <laughs> Smoke and mirrors Smoke and mirrors, she my she, friend
0: You know, mother and mother and mother. Oh, no. Hey
1: Oh, told you she'd fall for it <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so okay, much, Wendy you
0: guys Thanks Thank for your time, you. Wendy That was great Okay, thanks Cheers. Bye
1: Bye-bye The Mojo Radio Show Ah, oh, she's still got it She has I mean, that was... Honestly, I'm such it's so good to know that she's still on the road. Just actually, before we do anything else, mate, that mm. that well done on getting Wendy mm. uh, for the show. Mm. But one other thing we had um, for the people who are new to the show, a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed another Australian musician who uh, is now based in Nashville, mm. who is doing really good things. He's got a new album coming out shortly, but he's also touring with the John Denver story, Rick Price. Mm. That show had a lot of downloads. People love that show. Mm-hmm. And just for our Australian listeners, mm-hmm. uh, he is playing this Friday at the Reesby Workers Club uh, mm-hmm. in the John Denver story. So any Rick Price fans, get along and see. He must
3: be pretty busy because um, on Saturday night, just gone, he um, he just played at the Castle Hill RSL near my place. So um, he's oh, right. getting around the place, yeah. To see, isn't it? Yeah, great show apparently too. So um, if you can get out and see mm-hmm. it, go and see it.
1: But speaking of um, getting around... Mm-hmm. Uh, As our regular Mojoites will know, uh, just recently, only a week or so ago, I was on the road with the Tour de Cure, which is a cycling foundation, and I rode a bike with about 100 other riders from Adelaide to Melbourne to raise money in the fight against cancer. And Mm. whilst on the road, I caught up with one of the most iconic uh, cyclists in the world who just recently uh, retired, a guy called Jens Vop. And uh, Jens rode with us for the whole nine days, which was quite a privilege because this guy has done 17 Tour de France. He's worn the yellow jersey. He's won stages of the Tour de France. As you'll hear during the interview, he's won stages of the Giro d'Italia, which is currently happening right now in Italy as we speak, the Tour of Italy. Um, And only six months ago, he held the world one-hour record, which is – riding the furthest in one hour against the clock. And that was only six months ago. He's the oldest guy to ever do it. He is, anybody who follows international cycling from the Tour de France and the Welter and the Giro and stuff will know the name Yangs Vocht. And uh, i got to say he was an incredible guy to spend time with, On the boat from Geelong across to um, Beach Road near Melbourne, I caught up with him. Robbo, for a quick chat.
2: The Mojo Radio
1: Show. So, Jens, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Nice to have you here.
4: Thank you, and thanks for having me.
1: Um, Now, before we start, I watched you race on Eurosport for many, many years. And I've heard your surname presents presented as Fokt, yet everybody on tour has been saying Voigt. Can you clear that up for us?
4: Uh, well, uh, it seems to be for English-speaking people, apparently really difficult to pronounce it. Uh, to me, it's simple. It's Jens Vogt. Volked, uh, Not Vogt. Vogt. <laughs> a little sharper. Vogt. Volked. Yes. Um, because it's a V, it's not a W. Uh, but it doesn't matter. I know what you mean and I understand when he's saying my name, so it's no, no problem for me.
1: <laughs> now, for our listeners, can you just give me a quick bio of your career? You've now retired from professional racing. You've raced around the world in lots of races. Can you give us a quick rundown of your bio?
4: Well, I guess uh, we could spend 10 hours just on that, but I try to make it short. I started cycling when I was still nine years old because I was a wild child, and the teachers told my parents that I need to do more sport to burn off the extra energy. So I trained for three weeks, entered my first race, won it, and yep, I got the buck. So I was a cyclist since then. Um, I did 33 years of cycling, 18 years as a professional. 65 wins as professional I believe, maybe another 50 wins as amateur, as junior, Um, about 60 crashes as well. I think I had about 110, 120 stitches in my skin, but he put me together after crashes. 11 broken bones. I covered. I had about 25 different screws and nails in my body, where they put my bones back together. I covered about 870, 880000 kilometers on my bike, which, in other words, is up to the moon, back to Earth, and halfway up to the moon again. Wow. Yep. And. Now I'm happily retired. So you've
1: done... How many Tour de France?
4: I've done 17 Tour de France's, so together with George Hankepi and George O'Grady, we are holding the record in the moment, 17 participations in the Tour de France. I thought for half a second about number 18, but I don't think I, I would have been good enough to make the Tour team. Yeah, yeah. And you've worn yellow? Yes, I, I did win three stages in the Tour, I worn yellow on two occasions, um, so I'm pretty happy about that. It's
1: fantastic. Mate, um, you've been now riding with us for nine days on the Tour de Cure and it's been a real privilege having you here. Recently at one of the dinners, somebody talked about you as being the rider's rider. Why, why do you think you got that title as the
4: rider's rider? I believe, or I hope I'm allowed to say it was blowing my own champagne, that apart from the fact that I can move my push bike decently fast, I'm just a perfect Joe Average. I mean, I got six kids. I'm married with my first woman. Um, I don't have any, you know... Any push cars. I don't wear a diamond earpiece. I don't have any funny tattoos. I don't have any funny haircuts. I'm just the normal man, down to earth, working hard, trying to make a living for the family, for my six kids, trying to raise them in the right way. We have the first son just entered at university last year, so I think people, hopefully, people like that. That I'm mm. apart from being a good bike rider, I'm just a normal person. Mm.
1: Did you? Did your parents have a big bearing on your up, On your your? Upbringing and the the personality and the way your approach to life. Do you remember a lot of things that your parents taught you?
4: Definitely, they do have a big influence now that I'm parent as well. It is a big responsibility, and there's a million ways you can go wrong Mm. with raising your children, Mm. right? Uh, Children are born sort of like an empty glass, and it's your responsibility as a parent to put the good things in that glass, to Mm. fill it up with good stuff, with good content, and not putting any crap in there. So my parents, I, I hope they did a good job on that. My dad is a working man, worked all his life, um, and he's, he kept it simple, said, look, it's about taking and giving, right? You cannot take more than you give. Um, it's also about, remember, who are your true friends? He told me the thing with the three Ws, that the, words, the three words start with a W, right? Remember, always, where do you come from? W, right? Where do you come from? What gets you up there where you are now? Hard work, dedication. And the third word was W is, who are your true friends? Once you're on top, it's easy. Everybody taps on your shoulder and goes, hey, you're the best, I'm your friend. Your true friends are the ones that were there when you were 10 years old, when you were 14 years old, when you were 20 years old looking for this first professional contract. The people, they helped you back there and then. They helped you because they liked you. They didn't like the famous yes, They liked the one that was working hard trying to make a living. So these are the true people. So if you remember the three Ws, where do you come from? What brought you up there where you are now? and who are your true friends, then I guess you're pretty safe in life, and that was pretty good, and making clear I understand all of these lessons.
1: Mm. Um, last night, Robert, we had this fantastic story at dinner. Um, I think it was in the Giro d'Italia, where you spoke about being in a breakaway, and that story resonated with me, because it really showed the values that you carry as a man. Can you share with our listeners that story about being in the breakaway?
4: There was a stage in Geo Italia, leave believe 2006 or 2007 and uh, my boss told me, Jens, try to catch a breakaway, we have the leader's jersey in our team but you're not working. So I catch the break, I said, look boys, I cannot work with you because I got leader's jersey back there, I just here to police the group and to see that, you know, just to watch. I said, okay. So they never gave me any stress, I never did see the front one time and group gets smaller and smaller and the end there's two riders left uh, Garate uh, Juan Garate from Spain and myself and I, I went to him and said look I cannot go for stage winning because I never worked I just don't deserve it I have not done anything to make this group survive and go to the finish I can't win and my, my team was comes on a team radio and goes Jens I want you to win I said look I can't he said Jens I told you I want you to win I said I can't so I refused to win I pushed the guy um, ahead so it was clear that the he's gonna win and I still feel really good about it because of course I could have won. I was fresh. I didn't work at all. Mm. But like I said uh, uh, many times when I tell the story, I can also easily steal the purse of an old lady. But I'm not doing it. It's not right. It's mm. easy to do, mm. but it's not running, right, right? There's certain things. Stealing a lollipop from a child, it's easy to do. But you just don't do it. Mm. And there was the same thing. I would have felt like a thief stealing a victory. And I don't want any of any of these victories in my Palmares or in my list of wins. And sometimes you know karma is good. But next, next year round, I'm going to break away again. And I had the right to work with them. And I had the right to earn, you know, to go for it. And I did win my stage a year after. So it's, like a it's
1: a great story, mate. It's a tribute to you. And having been on the road with you for nine days and watched you from a distance with the people you're interacting with, it's it's clear you've got a very solid set of values. You, I, I, I ever not heard a conversation... We've had some pretty bad weather on Tour Robo. It's been 60 kilometer crossies, headies. No kidding, no
4: kidding. Yes, we did have bad weather. I remember
1: that. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a long time ago, but it was only yesterday. Jens, um, yeah, so you had a, a beautiful comment you made. Somebody asked you a question about when you were riding in the pro teams, when you had bad weather, how did you approach the bad weather? And You had a lovely saying about how the young yens was different to the older yens in the Pro Tour.
4: Do you remember that? Uh, yes. Yeah, when I was younger and still like crazy and, you know, had more energy. I'm like, yeah, bad weather is good because half of them not motivated, so I'm already in the top 10. Because, you know, half of them, or 70% of the riders are just not motivated anymore in the bad weather. So, yeah, I was always welcoming the bad weather. For many, many, many years, anything that made the race hard, sticky, uh, stressful, it was good for me. Mm. And yet the EMs when things started to get older and it was raining outside... Oh, you go, oh, do I really have to do that? I mean, hey, it's just the <laughs> law of nature. You get older, you get more careful... Plus, after a while, or after many, many years, you realize it's also more dangerous than the rain, and you had one or two crashes, so um, you go, oh, no, not again, such a stressful day. But I had a lot of good results in bad, bad conditions. It's not that I really loved it, but I was less affected by it than others. I I just refused to let my, 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 my spirit go down with the bad weather, and that was, for many years, my advantage. It's
1: funny, it's hearing you say that, and now you've been with us for nine days, and we're riding together cure cancer we've heard lots of stories we've shared with lots of different people from children to the elderly to riders support crew it makes me think that that philosophy could be carried to someone who's been diagnosed with cancer because some people can attack it and say, you know, I'm going to go after this thing, and I'm going to beat it. But others would sit on the couch and go, "Oh, it's hard. I'm suffering," and and wait in that misery. Would you, be, from what you've seen and, and thought about in this too, would you would you concur with that? Would that make sense?
4: Yes, it does make sense. Um, also, because nowadays we are in a good position that having cancer is not automatically the end of mm. life, mm. right? A lot of cancer can be cured. Some takes a lot of chemo, sometimes it's a little easier. It's a hard struggle, it's a hard fight, but it can be won in many, many cases. So the first thing is, okay, you get the shock, you get the diagnosed, but just don't let yourself, you know, be taken down by that. Mm. Fight it. I, I, I still believe that just a pure happiness is still underestimated in terms of being a cure or helping to prevent cancer. I believe if you're happy with yourself, your position in life, I mean, I'm not talking happy about your bank account or the car you have or the beautiful watch you have on your wrist. I'm talking happy about, hey, I got my family, my kids, my parents, you know, brothers, sisters. I'm happy in your position in life. That really does help you. Mm. Also, happiness gives you a more stable background, environment you live in. You need support. When things get tough, you need support. I mean, when I had some of my bad treasures, the family helps you to get up from it, mm. right? When I lost my uncle to cancer, the family stick together, you know, to help my my, uh, my auntie to, to get over it and to, to uh, survive this, uh, this tragic loss. So, having a, a, a good working family relation is really important. Mm. Happiness is important but yes, don't give up. Mm. There is help, there is hope, there is cure. And the first step is to believe in it, to believe in yourself and in your ability to fight the cancer.
1: Mm. Where does Yenzi's energy come from? You, You wake up in the morning, we did some days 200, yesterday 140, 150 Ks. You turn up at breakfast, people are wanting to talk to you, you're smiling in the face, you're getting on the bike, you're doing turns on the front. You finish, you go to dinner, you've got time for everybody. Where does Jens' energy come from? I don't
4: know, but I still seem to have some energy, that is correct. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm just born that way. I'm just born that way, and um, I'm a general, general, I'm a happy person, right? For me, the half glass is always half full, not half empty, but half full. So, I try to take life. Positively, right? Try to learn something every day. Try to approach life, you know, in a positive way. And technical the challenges they're laying ahead of me.
1: Tell me, having now been with us for nine days, and our our friends at Optus have brought you to the tour to Cure And thanks to Murray King and all the team, they've been a fantastic team on tour. Um. Yenzi, what's something that's happened on tour that's changed you as a person, that's changed your attitude or added something to to Jens? What, is, there, is there an event or something that's happened that's had an impact on you?
4: There are so many beautiful moments. I mean, right on the first day, we had um, a car like passing us, slowing down next to us, adjusting gas speed to our speed down the window and handing out cash money as donations mm. or moments like we got totally un, unexpected support you ride right in the middle of nowhere we, we actually did have a few times the middle mm. of nowhere yep. this week um, and suddenly there's a like a couple with like two little children waiting outside the road they make up a sign you can see that the kids spend time and effort making that sign go cyclists go to the cure and they're just clapping their hands and they must have been out there for an hour waiting for us mm. Just little moments, I, I like this, this little moment where you go, oh, you know, when you like riding and you go, oh, my legs are hurting and this, I'm tired. Then you have this, you know, totally out the blue support. These are the best moments for me.
1: What are you going to tell your children uh, when you get home? You've been away now for a couple of weeks. You're going to go home to your kids. They're going to ask you about the tour de to kill. What are you going to say?
4: Um, all my kids are pretty sporty and and active but what I take away is really the message we passed along with this whole Flipman story be happy be healthy be fit because that is already a, a good a really large step into having a good and healthy long life so I think I'm gonna stress more about this this subject be fit be happy be strong and um encourage them, you know, to also be themselves, not mm. following mm. always mm. the lead of others, doing their own decisions and making up their own minds and facing the consequences, of course, in the good, but also mm. in the bad. Mm. Like you you make, you take a decision, you walk this way, and if it works, it's all good, and all, all the consequences are positive. If it doesn't work, you also have to face the consequences. Like, you know, try to raise the children that they are become the good and responsible you know, integrate friendly uh, uh, humans or mm, adults later. Mm. Um, I'm gonna let you go because our boat
1: is about to moor in Sorrento. We've got our last stage into Melbourne today, Jensi. Before we go, um, what do you miss most about racing in the UCI Pro Tour?
4: What I miss most? Daily massages. There was a <laughs> lot, that was a part of, the, of the my sport I really loved. Um, <laughs> But maybe on a more serious note, um, missing to be with the boys, being in the team bus, cracking jokes. And I believe, Having teammates here, 20, 22, 23 years old helps me to keep younger mm-hmm. and hopefully I can say I help them to grow up and yep. little quicker, yep. Yep. grow up in a more, in a better way, right? And so I miss that and yes, I guess I, I will miss later when you go sign on, you know, you have a thousand yeah. people clapping their hands for you. I guess, yes, it's only human that I'm going to miss that a little mm. bit. Mm. But I'm not going to miss the crashes and the stress yeah. and the fighting for positions. Yeah. So, that's good.
1: Are we going to say- book from you soon?
4: Uh, yes, I'm working on a book. We try to get it ready for Christmas. Christmas. We have um, a deadline for the raw version 31st of May which is soon and we're aiming at 75,000 words so we're almost there so it looks good. We're in ex- we're in we are That's in the timetable. It's very time good. Room. Yeah, it's good. It's an English only book. Oh, really? Yeah, English only. We have a, um, what's it with an American company. Autobiography? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, wow. The okay. My life from birth to living, growing up in East Germany, um, to, um, you know, racing in East Germany, then become professional. So my whole life, yes. And I think we have uh, the rights organized for Great Britain, and I think currently we're working on Australia, but oh. by the time it's ready, I think we will have a, a publisher or partner for Australia. Well, you have... Hundreds of thousands of fans here, mate. It's
1: been a real treat having you as one of the co-founders. been a treat having you on the tour. Thank you to Murray King and all the from Optus for bringing you out here. And and uh, uh, Jens won the yellow jersey Robbo on uh, maybe two nights ago? Uh, yes. And uh, somebody made the comment it may not be his last, but I've got a feeling we're going to see him back on the tour to cure for many more yellow jerseys for right uh, We're in
4: the yellow for us, buddy, so um, thank you for coming thanks for having me thanks for giving me a chance to be part of this great beautiful adventure and yes I really want to come back I talked already to Murray I talked to uh, Jeff Coombs I talked uh, to Bruno and we all agreed yes it was great and yes of course we want to keep working together so yes I really really hope I can come back and everything works out That next year all the timing everything is ready and yeah I'll be there
1: um, tell me something we, we talk about yens and riders a lot if there was somebody listening who has liked our journey, has heard about the riding part. What would you say to a volunteer who wants to come and drive a car, help us with food, nutrition, help us with the logistics? What would you say to somebody who's thinking of being a volunteer to come and support the
4: riders? Well, would, would give him a warm welcome. I would encourage him with the decision, trying to be part of this, um, it's not a pleasure cruise, we all work pretty hard, you know, wake up early mornings, long rides for the bike riders, car driving, you know, for the support crew, uh, sometimes they prepare our arrivals, so it's, it, it, it's a fair bit of work involved, mm. right? It's not just mm. laying in the sun all day, but it's just the it's just heartwarming feeling you get to be part of this family Mm.
1: Well Robert we're going to dock now put my leg over a bike we're going to run the 100k's into Melbourne to finish this thing off so um, Jens on behalf of everybody the Mojo Radio Show thank you buddy
4: Hey thanks and thanks for listening to me The Mojo
1: Radio
3: Show Why is a guy with that much experience riding with a hack like you?
1: Yeah, I. Uh, if you'd have probably sent me that question, I could have asked him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> questions um, without notice. <laughs> I think the truth was he wasn't riding with me. He was riding to help find a cure yeah. for cancer. Yeah, let me I guess. think that was the real truth. I just, uh, hung, I just hung off his back wheel.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, let me paint a picture here. You were eating his smoke, right?
1: Uh, mate, we did a, um, just very quickly, we did a time trial as a team time trial because on tour, we ride in teams. So my team was Victoria Coffee, and there was a Lexus team, and <laughs> well, there doesn't that is surprise me? <laughs> a Woolworths team, and so on, right? So I'm in the Victoria Coffee team, and we all raced against each other in this time trial of about eight kilometers. Mm. And our team went particularly well, but we, we ran second to Lexus who had a fair few stars in the team, right. by 0.02 of a second. Wow. So uh, there was a bit of controversy over that. However, mm-hmm. so we thought we had a really good ride. We did everything we thought right. We, we enjoyed the heck out of it. But Jens did the same time trial by himself, over the same distance, and for a period of eight kilometres, took forty-seven seconds <laughs> off us. So, by himself, over eight kilometres, did the whole thing forty-seven seconds quicker uh, than the winning yes. team. So he's been he's been out of the UCI now for quite a while, but obviously, mate, you um, answer your no question. Slouch. He still has it. Yeah. I mean, six months ago, he held the world one-hour record yeah. so the guy's you know supremely fit he, he's fantastic he yeah. honestly is such a uh, such a good guy
3: so you know the other great thing i love about you doing those interviews what's that i get to use the pushbite song <laughs> <laughs>
1: take me back yeah but that's um it. that's a big show mate
3: that's a huge show i think yeah i think uh if you haven't taken anything out of this week's show don't bother downloading next week's <laughs> correct all right i think we're done cheers see ya out
2: Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.